Do you find yourself wishing you had more energy, healthier habits, or fun family activities? At the YMCA, you can find your passion, find family fun, and find your happy place, all while supporting your community. Join the Y in March with a $0 enrollment fee and enjoy motivating group exercise classes, heated pools, pickleball, and so much more. Visit YMCADC.org to learn more and to find your nearest Y in D.C., Maryland, or Virginia today. People are stupid. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial 525. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. 25. And I'm Pamela. There's nobody else. (laughs) You interrupted my math, Pam. I don't appreciate it. I was just about to tell you all, you two, that 25 divided by 5 equals 5. Whoa. 5 times 25, 125. Oh my God. The Illuminati are behind this episode. Have some other numbers to share with everybody. I thought this was pretty interesting. Thursday night's Democratic debate was the most watched Democratic primary debate ever. 18.1 million people watched on Thursday. 15.3 million watched on Wednesday. The previous highest was 15.5 million in October 2015. Republicans, we have some catching up to do. Uh, Their record is 24 million in August 2015. Of course, you know, got to give Trump credit. Probably one reason why so many people tuned in for that one. But is this a good sign? More people than ever tuned into a Democratic Mm -hmm. primary debate? I think it shows that we have really early engagement for the 2020 election, which is encouraging. Um, But only time will tell what that engagement will translate to. (laughs) Right. So in theory, these people who are very engaged now will continue to be engaged for the next year and a half it is a long time to keep engagement up mm-hmm. it is i wonder if these numbers ever go down over time though i would hope they would go up because the closer we get to election day the higher the stakes are so i feel like all the slackers might tune in to you know the lot right now it's like overcrowded the um like the candidates that are running are overcrowded but i feel like more people will tune in once we start whittling away at the people that aren't going to make it past yeah. you know a certain point so There is another debate on CNN at the end of July, so get ready. No, I thought there wasn't another one till October. October? Yeah. No way. This train is rolling. No, I don't. Get on board. Choo choo. I don't want these. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we do have plenty of thoughts about the Democratic primary debates, and we recorded them. Last week, actually, right after the second debate happened, you can listen to it at patreon.com slash millennial at the Bay level because it is part of our breaking news benefits. Time now for Laura's Rage of the Week. My fucking iPhone fell <laughs> into the water over the weekend. Pat and I went kayaking and I- I'm coming ashore and I have my phone on my lap and I know the phone is on my lap. And as I am coming ashore, I say in my head, my phone is on my lap. Before I stand up, I will grab my phone so it doesn't fall into the water. Two seconds pass. I forget my phone is on my lap. (laughs) I stand up. It falls into the water. It's submerged for five seconds. This is the newest iPhone. 
Apple was bragging when they announced this phone that, oh, it's rated IP48 or some shit. This means it can fall in water and sit there for 30 minutes and you'll be okay. You pull it out, you dry it, it'll be okay. My phone was submerged in less than a foot of water for less than five seconds. And at first it was okay. Then we're sitting at a bar afterwards. Using my phone just shuts off. It just keeps restarting, restarting, restarting. Face ID stops working. Uh, the light sensor stops working. It's just completely fucked. So I was like, what the hell? I was so disappointed that I needed to get a new phone. Luckily, I had AppleCare Plus, so they replaced it for 99 bucks. So that's what I was doing today. And I was not pleased mm. because Apple lied to me. Well, I have a question. When your phone fell, did it hit like rocks or did it fall into like kind of the the sedentation at the bottom it was sand yeah yeah so if sand got like up in your dock connector for example that could really fuck up your phone yeah mm. well uh, something happened i i say this as somebody who has dropped her phone in water i actually got mine in the toilet Ew. not while i was I, no, no you no, know no, what no. i've done that too oh <laughs> The reason for it was I had it like perched on the side of my sink and I was doing my makeup and the toilet was open, which I know you guys have really strong feelings about, but it was open. (laughs) I can't change that now. And while I was doing my makeup, I like moved my hand and hit the phone and it flew perfectly into the toilet, (laughs) like completely in. And I pulled it out and I like dried it off. I cleaned it, of course, and it's been fine. Yeah. I, I also think that they just assume that all water damage comes from people dropping their phones in the toilet because the last time this happened to me, I dropped it into a sink full of water and I took it and the guy was like, so you dropped it in a sink? And I said, yeah. And he goes, are you sure you dropped it in a sink? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because who would admit to that? Oh, I dropped it in the toilet. Right. <laughs> uh, having worked in that particular industry, I can tell you there are a lot of people who have no shame about handing you the fucking phone. And once it's in your hand being like, I dropped it in the toilet. And you're like, oh, fuck. Thanks. <laughs> Jesus. I would never touch my phone if it fell in the toilet. I would flush it down the <laughs> you toilet. You would just flush it? <laughs> yeah. I would not. Ew. Fucking gross. <laughs> Word of warning to everybody, especially now that it's summer and you might be going in the water. Be careful. Don't believe Apple. And they say it can survive being submerged. I think I shook some people in the Discord. About the toilet? Yeah. Well, that is oh, pretty disgusting. No. Ca- Carolyn caps locked me saying, Laura, why? <laughs> Speaking of summer, Laura, the Supreme Court is wrapping up their term, right? Some decisions yeah, came are. down. So I wanted to use my shooting the shit time to talk about three cases the Supreme Court has made decisions on. There are many more, and you should definitely check them all out. But I thought these were probably the most relevant for the show. Um, the first was Flowers v. Mississippi. And that concerns the case of Curtis Flowers, a black man from Mississippi who has been tried six times for the quadruple homicide of four people in a furniture store in 1996. Not only was there no concrete evidence that Curtis Flowers did this, he had multiple alibi witnesses who placed him nowhere near the scene of the crime when it happened. And to top it all off, the prosecutor, Dub Evan, Doug Evans, excuse me, kept relitigating this case time and time again and consistently found reasons to keep black people off the juries each time. This was a 7-2 to vote on the Supreme Court. 
Interestingly, Justice Kavanaugh wrote the majority opinion on this, and they declared that Doug Evans violated the Constitution for denying Curtis a jury of his peers. Um, Also, there's a really good podcast about that called In the Dark. Y'all should listen to. Um, It really dives into the nitty gritties of that case. Uh, And then in the Department of Commerce versus New York, the Supreme Court ruled that the Census Bureau under direction of the Trump administration cannot pose a citizenship question on the 2020 census. This is huge, especially given all of the talks around immigration that are happening in the political sphere right now. Um, And then finally, in Rucho v. Common Cause, the court ruled disappointingly, uh, on gerrymandering cases from North Carolina and Maryland, um, and ultimately decided that they lacked uh, judicially discoverable and manageable standards for resolving those cases, and basically punted them back to the state saying that the federal government can't reach in on these. So very disappointing, because we all know um, we've talked at length about gerrymandering on the show. And how damaging it is in terms of representation, especially for minority communities. So my hope is that this is something we can still try to make progress on at the state level, but I really would have liked the Supremes to weigh in more. And as you, as we've said previously on the show, gerrymandering happens on both sides. So I guess we just have to clap back with harder gerrymandering to undo the Republicans gerrymandering. If, if this is our world that we have to live in. Well, the interesting thing about this was the cases they heard were from North Carolina and Maryland. In the case of North Carolina, Democrats were saying that gerrymandering disproportionately disadvantages them. And Republicans were saying the same thing about Maryland. So there are definitely cases where both parties benefit from gerrymandering. I would argue that in this at this point in history, Republicans benefit far more from it than Democrats do. Also, Robert Mueller is testifying on July 17th. Andrew, do you want to do that, like, horn sound? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no, who gives, if you uh, listen to Hashing It Out, you'll understand that. Who gives a fuck? This is going to make no difference in anything. I see a lot of people getting excited about Mueller testifying. But this is like every other time the left has gotten super excited about something that's happening. Oh, here comes Mueller's report. Oh, here comes a subpoena for this person or that person. Nothing matters. It doesn't make a difference. And Mueller has already said that he did not want to testify because he would not add anything that he hasn't already said in his reports. So it's useless, right? I think it's very beneficial just based on the fact that we know that the average American has not read the Mueller report or even a summary of the Mueller report. And since this is a testimony in it's like a public testimony, so you'll be able to see this on C-SPAN, um, you will actually get those sound bites. So I think a lot of people will be hearing some of the outcomes of the Mueller report for the first time straight from the horse's mouth. And we spoke about so that, that woman who watched Mueller's press conference a couple weeks ago and right. she was, that was the first time she heard there was bad news in it for Trump. Mhm. Exactly. So I Fair think point. that's why it's significant. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's actually we're not going to learn anything new. Right. You're you're 100% right about that, but I think that it may help give some folks the push they need mm-hmm. to at least consider 
for one millisecond that Trump is not, you know, the American God. They think he is. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, you mentioned C-SPAN. It's also, of course, going to be on every other channel, probably. Well, even, yeah, that's even true. Even the broadcast networks are probably going to break in from their normal <laughs> coverage to air it. So... I guess I should have clarified, I'll be watching it on C-SPAN because I'm 80 years old. <laughs> you want to watch it without any bias, which is what C-SPAN offers. That's correct. After Mueller gives his testimony, I bet he's going to want to go on vacation. And he should consider a suitcase from my favorite luggage company, Away. I was so happy when Away told us they wanted to be a sponsor because I'd been a fan for a long time. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the Away suitcase, which has a lightweight and durable shell that's made to last for a lifetime of travel. It's got USB ports built in for on-the-go charging. It has 360-degree spinner wheels. It's got compression pads to help you pack more. And everything they make comes with a 100-day trial. In addition to suitcases, they also make a few great bags. I love my Away suitcase for all the features I just stated, and it puts them on a great-looking design. The compression straps are a game changer for overpackers, meaning everyone. And between its lightweight and its set of four wheels, it's a breeze to push beside you. And no matter how much you travel, you can rest easy knowing that Away has your back. In addition to that 100-day trial, if any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced ASAP. That means you buy one Away suitcase and you're good for life. That's it. This is a wise investment. Taking my Away suitcase on the go is the best part of my traveling experience. It looks good, it's functional, it's reliable, and it goes beyond any other suitcase out there. This is like the iPhone of suitcases because it's so good that other companies are going to try and copy them. You might not want to throw it in the water, though. For $20 <laughs> off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash M-I-L-L and use promo code M-I-L-L during checkout. Again, $20 off a suitcase. Visit awaytravel.com slash M-I-L-L and use promo code M-I-L-L during checkout. You're going to love these guys and you're going to be loyal to the brands like I am. Laura, that's not a scam, but I know in the news this week, we're going to talk about a scam or two. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of which, um, do either of you ever remember seeing mostly female friends, not saying that there couldn't have been other friends, but mostly female friends and acquaintances in your Facebook feeds selling these brightly colored, heavily patterned leggings and other comp and other clothing from a company called LuLaRoe. Oh yes. I have I thought you I don't have many female friends, so that might be why. Wow, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> other than you two. <laughs> I haven't... You and me and I guess we're too smart to fall for this, Laura. I, yeah, right. I guess so. I haven't seen you two pushing these just yet. I have seen people push other companies, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. So the reason I ask is because I personally remember several people I know who were big into LuLaRoe for a long time, mostly between 2014 and 2016. Just to give you a little bit of background on this, according to their website, LuLaRoe's vision is to be a, quote, community of social selling entrepreneurs, offering individuals the opportunity to achieve their dreams by connecting people to product. So in case you can't see where this is going, you can only purchase LuLaRoe's clothing through independent fashion retailers, aka resellers, who have invested in a crapload of LuLaRoe's product. 
To buy in, you have to apply online to get partnered with a mentor, after which you'll need to buy a starter inventory kit. Um, There was a really great Vice documentary about this, which actually inspired me to plan this discussion. Um, But former fashion retailers reported that this starter inventory costs $5,000. And like any good pyramid scheme, you don't make your profits off selling the clothes. You make them off recruiting new fashion retailers under you in the form of percentage bonuses based not off what you sell, but how much you and those working under you buy from LuLaRoe. So it's a basic pyramid scheme. But I'm curious to know, and Pam, maybe you can speak to this a little bit since you saw people in your life get sort of like bought into this. What was the appeal of it? I, I personally thought the clothes were ugly as fuck. <laughs> it's it's funny because it's it was only one friend that I saw that was pushing this. And it was kind of weird because I think that she's the only person I've ever seen that could actually, actually pull off some of these patterns. But that's because it was just her style. She's like a very eccentric dresser. Um, but it is definitely, um, you know, product catered to a certain type of person. Um, and for her, she started selling it after she had her first kid. So I feel like probably it would be safe to say that a lot of women, especially if they're young moms, are enticed by the self-made model and also the fact that you can do this without having to compromise time spent with family. Like you can work from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that really seems to be the vision that they've sold to a lot of these women. I think most of them are like late 20s, early 30s, who really bought into this idea. And they would do these online sales, where they would basically start a Facebook live stream and show all of their products on camera and have people in like a Facebook chat claiming things as they were showing them. And then they would buy through LuLaRoe's platform and, you know, be mailed the product. But what's so interesting to me about this product is it's all made from legging material. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll touch on this a little more in a bit, but I was actually in a thrift store the other day and went to the back section. And in the back section, they had these enormous, just like two racks full of LuLaRoe, leggings, dresses, shirts, just a whole bunch of shit. And the reason why you're seeing this increase in the amount of LuLaRoe inventory in thrift stores is because the product isn't selling. So just like any other pyramid scheme, people are investing tens of thousands of dollars in product and then not being able to move the product because the market has been so saturated because so many of these uh, resellers were working this angle through Facebook, mostly. I feel like that's usually where I saw it. Um, but it it's just so discouraging because a lot of these women, like one of them in the Vice documentary, actually ended up having to sell her house. Oh, it was so sad. Because she was... That's yeah. Awful. Yeah, she was so indebted that she had to do that. And the thing that's kind of scary about this was some of these people were really successful with the pyramid model and they got to a point where they were able to buy luxury cars and live this really like kind of extra lifestyle. And 
the um the husband wife team that founded LulaBrow, they're named Deanne and Mark Steidem, they encouraged their sellers to do this. They encouraged them to go on these lavish cruises and vacations and buy cars and jewelry and shit they couldn't actually afford so that they could sell the LuLaRoe lifestyle and help recruit other independent retailers to buy into this scam. Hmm. The other thing that's so messed up about this in this documentary, they go into the fact that it became very clear that LuLaRoe didn't care about the product so much as they cared about recruitment because sellers were receiving inventory that was moldy, like had clearly been left sitting outside, gotten wet and moldy, and still sent to them as though they would be able to sell that. One woman actually demonstrated how she could rip holes in a pair of leggings with her fingernails. Not even pushing that hard. She could literally just stab them through. So I, I also think that the people who went in on this, they wanted to be a part of a community. The people who spoke yeah. in this documentary, and I watched it earlier today, they seemed really excited to be a part of something. And to Pam's point about um, the work schedule, it's kind of like Uber. People like it because you can work on your own time. You can still have that family time. You're working at home. And I would think this wouldn't be for me, but I would think it would be cool to be operating my own fashion store. Essentially, this is what it was. You were operating one of these yeah. places out of your own home. And and that I can see why that would be a really attractive idea to some. Yeah. People. And I definitely see why people fall for it. And I mean, this is particularly, like I said, women in their late 20s, early 30s. So millennial women, many of whom are new moms, newly married, starting new families, and they're buried under student loan debt, and they're underpaid at work. And so they're trying to find a way to make ends meet. And along comes LuLaRoe, which sounds too good to be true. And unfortunately, it is too mm -hmm. good to be true. Yeah. Um, I know that Washington State actually ended up suing LuLaRoe just this past January for operating what they called an illegal pyramid and making misleading income claims and encouraging consultants to focus more on recruitment than selling clothes to customers. Oh. Well, good for them. Yes. Um, but really, they're still, I mean, they're still in operation. This is what was shocking yeah. to me. This Vice documentary was from like a year ago. And just out of curiosity, I went and looked up LuLaRoe's website, and they still appear to have a booming business. I mean, their rating on the Better Business Bureau is, like, in the shitter, mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as it should be. But the thing that makes me the most sad about this is, out of curiosity, I went looking for these individuals who I know had bought into LuLaRoe a couple of years ago, because I noticed... After I saw this documentary, I was like, huh, you know what? Like, so-and-so hasn't been pushing LuLaRoe for a while. <laughs> this is probably why. I went and looked them up. They've moved on to other pyramid schemes. Oh, no. Yes. Why? I've I've noticed this, too. What was your experience, Pam? I just, Well, like, um, the one friend that I knew pretty well that started with LuLaRoe, she moved on to... I went to, like, look this up because I knew you were going to talk about this. She started selling Color Street, which looks like either nail vinyls or nail polish. And so mm -hmm. she was pushing that for a while. The other thing that I thought was really weird, um, you know, aside from the fact that it didn't seem sustainable anyway, it was that there was always free giveaways. 
And like mm-hmm. that kind of seemed to be the way that they were going to lure you in to buy more stuff. Like come join this live stream and, and, and I'll be giving away a free pair of leggings or a free set of nails or whatever. Well, they have so much shit on hand. They need to get rid of it somehow. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's the other thing too. I was just thinking like, well, if they're giving away their inventory, how are they making money off of it? Yeah. Well, it's, it's so crazy. It's because it's like the shittiest quality wholesale inventory that, you know, the originator is not paying anything for and they're selling it to their investors at a huge markup. Mm-hmm. And then when their investors turn around to sell it, they're not making a very high margin off of yeah. those sales. And that's why it's incumbent upon them to recruit more people in order to make their right. money. Um, and now- nowadays, it also feels like there's something for everybody like there's pyramid schemes for everyone because the other person that i always see um that i don't know if it's a pyramid scheme but it seems to be i just assume anytime somebody ends a post with ask me how (laughs) you know they're probably part of something like this uh she's doing it for an essential oil company oh lord which is like the next big trendy thing well, and I used to know somebody who was pushing Scentsy, the candles, for a really long time. Laura, do you remember Sam? Oh, the yeah. Sam in fandom? Yeah, she was uh-huh. freaking relentless about Scentsy for the longest time. Doesn't do that anymore. But I know my aunt was also doing one of these types of companies as well. I think people just love running their own business without some of the harder parts of until you run into these money issues. Yeah, I guess it's like the Mary Kay slash Avon of our generation. Exactly. That's what my aunt did. But the thing that's really disturbing about this are some of the things that these companies encourage their resellers to do in order to invest in the product. So with LuLaRoe specifically, there are multiple counts of these women saying, yeah, I want to do this, but $5,000 for a starter kit, I don't have $5,000. They were encouraged to take out credit cards in order to pay for this. There were even women who were encouraged to sell their own breast milk oh, so they could purchase product. It's insane. Guys, if anybody's ever encouraging you to take out a credit card to buy something, it's a fucking scam. Please don't do it. Um, But I've also seen, like I mentioned, and like Pam was talking about, these other friends of mine, I went and looked them up, and now they're pushing Plexus and Advocare, which are these like nutritional powders that they're selling, like, mix this into your water in the morning and you'll lose 25 pounds, or like, this will give you the energy to be able to exercise. And the thing that kills me about it is... The people I know who are pushing these products have actually made really significant health gains. But when you do two seconds of research on these products, it's very clear that it wasn't because of these stupid powders. It was because of their hard work and determination. But these companies are profiting off of their hard work by making them buy into this product that they're not going to be able to move very easily. It's it's so sad and misleading. And, uh, you know, while I definitely think that there's some personal responsibility you have to take. And once you've been involved in a pyramid scheme, um, you ought not to be fooled into one again. But at the same time, I just think about the people who launch this kind of shit. And I, I can't imagine why 
you would want to fool people like this, people who are mm. clearly, you know, really wanting to have autonomy over yeah. their work-life balance, you know? It must be greed because, but it is really sad, like you said, because surely these people were once in the same position and that's why they created their own company. But there's like no empathy or desire to really truly help somebody out. Right. Exactly. And it's like these are these are hardworking people. That was the thing that struck me the most watching the documentary was like these weren't people who were looking for like an easy pass in life. They worked their asses off to make this happen, but the cards were just stacked against them. Mm-hmm. So I, I like really got up on my high horse and I started researching all of these companies that I've seen, you know, people who are like tangentially like, like in my life that's that they're pushing on Facebook. And so I'm like, every time I see one, I'm going to come on the show and talk about it and <laughs> trash it because I, I think that yeah. it's a huge scam and I don't want anybody else to get mm-hmm. lured into it. Yeah. I mean, it's good to, to get the word out because it's, I'm sure that after a certain point, if you're really hurting for money, desperation will make you think anything's a great idea. Yeah, totally. But you should and seriously, do your due oh. diligence in Googling the, any of these companies. I'm sure they're all problematic, but I would imagine that if you did some research at this point on Lou LaRoe and these other ones, that you can easily find tons of horror stories. I mean, you don't really need to go any yeah. further than that Vice documentary, but... Everybody needs to do their research. It's just like when you're hiring a company for something. You you go on Yelp to make sure that they're legit. You got to do that with these two. But really also, you know, we're talking about how we understand the temptation and absolutely. But do you really want to be that person who's bugging the shit out of your Facebook friends every other day? Check out my latest line that, of merchandise now available. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the other thing. I hate to say it, but usually when I start seeing that happen, I take those people out of my feed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I started muting the friends that I've seen mm-hmm. that have done this too, because I feel bad, you know. And before I even knew what these companies were, I was just like, oh, like somebody I actually know, she she started a new page. Okay, fine, like I'll join the page because she invited me. But then as soon as you see what it's about, you feel bad leaving, so you just kind of mute it and move on with your life. But mm-hmm. yeah, basically, if you ever see an offer that seems really tempting. And then you learn that that the business is precipitated on you recruiting other people to sell beneath you. That is a pyramid scheme. They might try to sell it to you with different verbiage. Like I've seen some places I've researched talking about like brand ambassadors. Same fucking thing. Don't fall for it. It's a scam. And at the end of the day, you're going to end up being out a lot of money and it's going to cause a lot of emotional and financial hardship. So steer clear. Take your hard work and effort somewhere else to a company that deserves it. And that is Laura's PSA of the day. <laughs> well, it's funny you ended on that because that's exactly what Taylor Swift decided to do, Laura. Oh, Tay-Tay. Mm-hmm. So Taylor Swift is making headlines the start of the week, not for any new music she's released. But for what's happening with regards to who owns the rights to her old music. So last year, 
Towards the end of the year, Taylor Swift signed a new multi-year deal with Universal Music Group's Republic Records. So this move is a really big deal because it marked Taylor Swift's departure from Big Machine Records, which was her first record label that she signed to when she was really young. And up until this point, she had been locked into a 12-year deal with Big Machine. So the fact that she was leaving after all of this time was big news, especially if you follow music industry ins and outs. So when Taylor Swift walked away, she was actually not able to take her master recordings with her, which meant that she had to leave all of her old work through reputation with Big Machine, who still owns the rights to those. And to put that into perspective, that's six whole Taylor Swift albums. The only thing that she owns is everything she's going to be releasing through Lover, which comes out on August 23rd, meaning she really has only unveiled two singles that she fully owns the rights to. Wow. It's crazy when you think of it that way. Exactly. And all of those, like, think about all of the music that she's put out since then, like all of the bangers, all of the number one hits. You have everything off of 1989, Red, Reputation, which was really huge, too. None of that she owns the masters, too. So on Sunday, Big Machine announced that Scooter Braun had acquired Big Machine through Ithaca Holdings. So now Scooter Braun is actually the owner of all of Taylor Swift's masters and not Scott Borchetta. Uh, This is a really big deal, especially to Taylor Swift, because not only did she allegedly find out about the merger on Sunday with the rest of the world, but also seems to be a bit of a touchy subject because she does not have very good history with Scooter Braun, whose uh, clients include Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, and Kanye West. Bit of a sore spot Mm -hmm. there, as I'm sure you can all kind of start to see. (laughs) Taylor Swift did not stay quiet about this, to her credit. She actually took to Tumblr shortly after the announcement was made, and she wrote a very lengthy post that I encourage you all to go read. Um, And I'm just going to read a few little snippets here. She actually referred to this acquisition by Scooter Braun as her worst case scenario. And here are some quotes that'll help you understand where she's coming from. Some fun facts about today's news. I learned about Scooter Braun's purchase of my master's as it was announced to the world. All I could think about was the incessant manipulative manipulative bullying I've received at his hands for years. Like when Kim Kardashian orchestrated an, an illegally recorded snippet of a phone call to be leaked, and then Scooter got his two clients together to bully me online about it. Or when his client Kanye West organized revenge por- a revenge porn music video which strips my body naked. Now Scooter has stripped me of my life's work that I wasn't given an opportunity to buy. Essentially, my musical legacy is about to lie in the hands of someone who tried to dismantle it. And then she continues later and says, When I left my masters in Scott's hands, I made peace with the fact that eventually he would sell them. Never in my worst nightmares did I imagine the buyer would be Scooter. Anytime Scott Borchetta has heard the word Scooter Braun escape my lips... It was when I was either crying or trying not to. He knew what he was doing. They both did, controlling a woman who didn't want to be associated with them. In perpetuity, that means forever. So first of all... So obviously, this caused a lot of waves, and a bunch of artists have already spoken out in support of Taylor Swift, including Halsey, Brendan Urie, who collabed with her on Me, Cara Delevingne, Iggy Azalea... And Todrick Hall, who is a performer and in his own right, but he also executive produced Taylor Swift's You Need to Calm Down music video, which just came out earlier this month. He also was once managed by Scooter Braun and said that he left because he truly believes Braun to be homophobic. 
On the other side, there are a bunch of people who have sided with Scooter Braun, including current clients Demi Lovato and Justin Bieber. And Justin Bieber is actually a very interesting case because obviously Scooter Braun really made a name for himself by signing Bieber. He's kind of credited for discovering him. But also the picture that Taylor Swift posted in this very lengthy Tumblr post features Justin Bieber at the forefront of this bullying that was going on around the whole Kim Kardashian, Kanye West drama scenario. So she was already kind of calling him out for that by using his posts to illustrate the bullying that she felt she was privy to. So um, the fact that he responded and kind of apologized, but not really mm. kind of, you know, it, it does. it's not a good look, basically. Yeah. But it is interesting to kind of note that he's one of the people that uh, took a side in this little feud that's going on. And then on top of that, Scott Borchetta, who was the former Big Machine Records owner, also responded in a letter he posted late Sunday night. In that letter, he claims that Taylor should have known about the deal prior, and he kind of just insinuates that there's no way she could have found out with the rest of the world. To back this claim up, he says that as a shareholder, Taylor Swift's dad, Scott, was invited to attend a call on the 25th of this month. I'm sorry, we're in July now, on the 25th of June, where the merger was announced. Uh, but a refer Swift has since refuted this claim, saying that Scott didn't want to attend the meeting because he would have had to sign a really strict NDA, and he didn't feel comfortable being in that setting and learning things about his daughter's business that he couldn't then relay back to Taylor herself. And let me just stop you right um, there. If they were finding out about the merger less than a week ago, it was too late for Taylor to have a chance to get her music. Right. So that really and is not an really argument. And that's a really good point that you yeah, made. Yeah, well, and, you know, I stole that from Iggy Azalea. That's the one and only yeah, thing I've ever stolen from her. she was the one that mentioned that. Yeah, she, she brought that point up on Twitter. So, yeah, it's it sounds like Taylor never had the opportunity to actually buy her own music, which is really sad. And I really, really, really want to know why that wasn't offered to her. I imagine Taylor Swift, who has more money than most people in the world, probably would have been pay willing to pay way more than Scooter Braun was willing to pay for Taylor Swift's music. On the other hand, I suppose Scooter Braun was paying a lot but is figuring he's going to make that money back very very easily for the rest of his life profiting off of taylor's music right 100 percent. because now anytime you stream anything the money's going to go back into scooter ron's pocket it's a really easy way to make money and i'm not really familiar with the catalog of artists that big machine is uh has signed since then but i know 100 that taylor swift put them on the map so that's their cash cow. There's no surprise there that they made it extremely difficult for her to walk away having owned all of her music and all of the masters to her music. Um, one of the things that Borchetta put in his letter was that the new deal that he had offered Taylor to keep her with Big Machine would have included the rights to all of her stuff. So as soon as she signed that deal, if she had stayed, 100% of all Taylor Swift assets would have been transferred to her immediately. But that didn't sit well with Taylor. And I totally understand her decision to walk away because, you know, like they, it was basically a, a way to lure her to stay. So why would you stay knowing that you could go somewhere else where you wouldn't have to give up the rights to future music by having to work with these people that were clearly manipulating her after she gained a certain amount of success? Right. right. I'm curious, how long would they want have wanted her to stay? I actually, I know that uh, Borchetta put up a little portion of the uh, contract that they were working on to get her to stay, but I didn't read through that because 
this story is very lengthy and there's a lot of moving parts, as you guys can see. But I imagine it would have been another another long multi-year deal because, you know, it's kind of interesting that even though she signed when she was unknown and very young to Big Machine, they still saw something in her that made them feel like she deserved a 12-year contract. That's like blatant taking advantage of somebody that's young, impressionable, and whose only dream is to get her music out to the world. Right. And of course she said yes, because, oh my God, somebody wants to sign me. It's completely understandable. Right. I would guess that the next deal probably would have been another 10 years or so. But, I would imagine so. Yeah. By the way, the fact that Taylor Swift posted this on Tumblr was very interesting to me. Like Nobody is thinking about Tumblr anymore. She just brought Tumblr back to life for a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she does. She's known for using Tumblr a lot. I think that's her preferred long form. <laughs> Which is and like, she also lurks and she, a little she like uses it to find people to invite to her super secret shows and things like that. So the Taylor Swift fandom is like going hard with Tumblr all the time. I think it's time, time to move yes. on from Tumblr. But anyway. Yeah, it's it's a really sad situation. I was really shocked to, you know, we spoke a few weeks ago or maybe a few months ago now about Taylor Swift being open about her political views, and now she's being very open about this. I mean, she's 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 an open book these days, isn't she? For all the mm-hmm. wrong reasons, yeah, unfortunately. 100%. Yeah, I think bottom line, if you take away anything from this, it's that regardless of who is telling the truth. Taylor Swift, who clearly was interested in buying her masters, should have been given the right to at least bid for them. Just like Paul McCartney was given the right to bid for the Beatles masters. I mean, he was eventually bought out or like he was outbid by Michael Jackson, who then owned those for a really long time. But the point is, is that he was given the opportunity to buy the masters. And it sounds like she wasn't even given that chance at all. Uh, Just like a layman question for somebody like as somebody who's not super in the know about the music industry, what does that mean for her that she doesn't own her masters? Like, does this mean that she can't use them in the production of future music? Does it mean she's not allowed to perform them anymore? I think it mostly goes for the, the royalties attached. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes she- sense. So, so like she can, obviously it behooves, scooter and big machine to let her perform them because if she's not performing them they're not making money you know yeah that that might be smart of her yeah but (laughs) fine right she's just like i'm just gonna like play these 16 songs for the rest (laughs) of my life this tour is just would be fine with that right yeah Mm -hmm. it's funny because i i was like lurking on twitter to see what people were saying in the hashtag i stand with taylor which started trending last night and a lot of people were saying, like, oh, I really want to listen to Reputation, but I'm not going to give Scooter Braun any of my change. <laughs> right. I mean, what are these people supposed to do now? They're going to feel they're going to feel bad listening to this music because they know Scooter's profiting. Mm-hmm. And and I hope I kind of like hope that because everybody is understandably upset on her behalf about this, they might kind of renegotiate something because if all he wants is to make money, I'm sure Taylor Swift can afford to pay him a pretty penny for the rights to her music. I also imagine that this makes it difficult to do something like a greatest hits album or, you know, mm-hmm. trying to re-release any of this music. I think that's one of the biggest um, new issues, Laura. Now she can't decide what she gets to do with her older music. She can't put out new box right. sets or something. She has to work with that douchebag scooter and she won't she won't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And then in turn, they can repackage greatest hits without her consent. Yeah, 
so it's just a really gross situation all around i totally understand where she's coming from where she says that she basically essentially feels violated by this whole thing like bullying aside what do you think the benefit it's an icky feeling what do you think the benefit is of coming out like this because now she's in a way biting the hand that feeds her now scooter can kind of come back and fuck her over in different ways i understand she's extremely frustrated and wanted to get her feelings out about this but did it have to go wide like this i think that she probably at the time figured that maybe in doing so and causing a stir it might help kind of change the direction and in how this is gonna go i don't really know what her motive is at the end of her Tumblr letter, she said that she wrote this all out and published it publicly because she wanted impressionable young artists that were starting out not to be, uh, you know, completely dazzled by these big record deals to the point where they make poor decisions. So it was kind of like a hard lesson learned. But at the same time, you can't deny that the negative press, the big machine, Scott Borchetta and Scooter Braun are now getting makes Taylor look a lot better. So I don't know if that means they're going to go back to the drawing table. And that was kind of the ulterior motive was to see if maybe she could gain the rights to all of her back catalog or not. But um, I w- I'm going to be interested to see if that's something that ends up happening in the weeks to come. I don't think this is the last we're going to hear of what's going down with yeah. this. I guess it's worth a shot, yeah. but Scooter knows how much money he can make here and it's not right. happening. Yeah. But I mean, to answer your question, Andrew, I think, Taylor Swift is somebody who has a lot of star capital that she can throw around. And most of that rests with her fans. And they are a like voracious fan community. <laughs> like they will go after anybody who hurts Tay Tay. So yeah, the Swifties are no joke. No, they are not. <laughs> I would not want to contend with them. All right. A couple other stories now. This next one, Donald Trump is not going to like it. Twitter is rolling out a new feature that will hide tweets from popular figures if they deem the tweets have broken the company's rules. So this notice will only apply to tweets from accounts belonging to political figures, verified users, and accounts with more than 100,000 followers. If a tweet is flagged as violating platform rules, a team of people from across the country will decide whether it is a matter of public interest. And if so, a light gray box will appear before the tweet warning users that it's in violation, but it will remain available to users who click through the box. So it's kind of like when you look at uh, when you try to look at graphic material on Twitter. I don't know if you two ever do that, but you'll see a message sometimes Mm -hmm. that says warning. This is graphic. Uh, Are you sure you want to proceed? So it's going to look like that. Um, So. Moves like this are due in part to Trump's tweets over the past couple of years. He has said some awful things. I always think back to that tweet about uh, Mika on MSNBC. Trump tweeted about an encounter with her in, one, in which she was once bleeding out of her face. It was like one of the worst things he said on Twitter. And when stuff like that has happened, Twitter has been under pressure to do something about these tweets because they do violate the rules. But Twitter just throws their hands up every time this happens and says, oh, he's a public figure. His tweets are a matter to, uh, you know, of interest to the public because he is the president. But that hasn't really been a great excuse for people. People keep giving Twitter shit for it. So 
if a tweet receives this notice, Twitter will not just hide it in the timeline. They're going to feature it less on the platform. It will no longer appear in safe search. The top tweets timeline, which for a lot of people is, is the only way they look at Twitter, the live event pages, it won't appear in recommended push notifications, the notifications tab, or the explore page. So it is going to be buried. Um, this notice will not be applied retroactively. So they're just starting this with new tweets that come out of Trump's phone. So it's too soon to know how effective this is going to be, how often they're actually going to flip this switch. But um, I think I think we all know that Trump will get really annoyed if his tweets start to get muted and he's going to start talking about how uh, the liberal West Coast is uh, hijacking his Twitter account. Do you two think this is a fair way to handle the situation? I'm not sure this is actually going to do anything because I think people are very invested and kind of obsessed with the circus that is Donald Trump's Twitter account. And I think a lot of people, probably ourselves included, are still going to see a lot of these tweets. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think it'll be entertaining to see just how much of Donald Trump's Twitter timeline is grayed out. (laughs) That would be hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) I keep waiting for him to get shadow banned, but I guess that can't happen to the president. Right. So, well, I mean, part of me is like, I think we spoke about this on the show a long time ago. We were like, Twitter should just ban the president yep they they, should they won't of course they won't Mm -hmm. donald trump brings them business twitter somehow is not growing despite the fact that donald trump is obsessed with twitter (laughs) i know well and that's why they're going with this solution because they really see him as like a cash cow for their platform right i don't get it so much so that do you remember right after he got elected a bunch of people were suddenly following Donald Trump without actually choosing to follow him. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this happened to me. I was like, I was never even following Obama. And now you're forcing me to follow Donald Trump. Sorry, Twitter. No, thank you. And Donald Trump has complained to the CEO of Twitter at the White House that he is losing followers. And this old grandpa doesn't (laughs) understand that they're actually fake accounts that are being removed from the Twitter platform. But he's so obsessed with the biggest numbers possible that he can't stand the thought of his follower count going down. Right. <laughs> it's like, but that's with everybody. Like, right. But he doesn't get that because you know, he's everybody's losing followers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I so I was following the official presidential Twitter until inauguration day, and I unfollowed it through before tears. they transferred it. Yeah, before they moved it over to mm-hmm. Trump. So bullying is not allowed on Twitter. Donald Trump is a fucking bully on Twitter, too. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of these tweets muted. Yeah, racism and hate speech also isn't allowed on Twitter. (laughs) And yet. Well, let's see. And yet is a really, I mean, that's where it all lies, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. they say that bullying is not allowed, but even with... um, I, I cancel culture is kind of like a weird thing to bring into this, but a lot of the the hate really comes out when cancel culture gets brought into the mix. And regardless of how you feel about, you know, somebody, maybe even before actual evidence comes out, people say some really nasty things. Just to be clear, canceled culture is when somebody says so and so is canceled. 
like we're over we're done yeah with them. yeah like if there's some kind of like big drama going on right. um you know people will say like you'll see things trend like hashtag so-and-so is over party uh-huh right um for the person that that twitter users have deemed should not gain any more support and you know sometimes i guess they're right but the point is is that you shouldn't stoop to that person's level all right well, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll we'll talk about whatever tweet is the first to get muted. This is going to be very interesting <laughs> to watch. Wanted to mention some other political news. Pete Buttigieg announced his quarter two fundraising, the, the amount he raised in quarter two. He raised $24.8 million. This is way up from the $7.1 million he raised in quarter one. We don't know how much the other candidates raised in quarter two yet, but they do have to report it by July 15th. So this is going to be some interesting information to watch because it might show who the public is supporting this early on. Uh, By the way, Pete Buttigieg's average donation, $47. So suck a dick, Bernie, because his was just $27. I mean that those are clearly just liberal establishment elites who have no idea what the middle class is the feeling. Liberal established <laughs> elites have no clue what middle America. So by comparison, in quarter one, I said Buttigieg raised seven point one million. Bernie had raised eighteen point two. Kamala twelve million. Beto nine point four million. And this was before Joe Biden stepped in, so we don't have his Q one numbers, but. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what everybody else raised. I am a part of this 24.8 million for Pete. I bought the Boot Edge Edge shirt. Oh, you did? Well, I donated. I didn't buy anything. Uh huh. It just just Pete or? Uh, actually, I did Pete, Kamala Harris, um, Julian Castro, and why? Oh, and Elizabeth Warren. Duh. Um, Mm, so I did those four. Nice. Pam, did you donate to anybody yet? I did not. I might set up a monthly donation for whoever ends up being the nominee. Mm-hmm. I, it's too early for me to start throwing money at somebody every mm-hmm. month. But my my only question is like, where does this money go? If say like I, I don't think this would happen to Pete Buttigieg because he's you know clearly a front runner. But like, let's just say he dropped out tomorrow. Where would all this money go? Usually, when people drop out, it's because they've run out of money. Okay. Yeah. So probably if you were to donate the day before somebody announced they're dropping out, um, they're already in the red. So, so that money is going to, help to them pay retribute for their yeah. damages. Right. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I saw a Pete's bumper sticker while driving around today. Mm. I was shocked by that. I haven't I seen any other 2020s yet. The hmm? cutest bumper sticker the other day. It said impeach on it, but it had a little peach <laughs> on the <cute>. side. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, Georgia, you're, you're making moves. <laughs> I have somebody who parks on my street. They have a bumper sticker that just says he needs to go. Short oh, and sweet. Retweet. And everybody knows what they mean. Right, exactly. Like, it's subtle, but you also know. <laughs> so, uh, one more sponsor today, then we'll get to Surprise Bitch and AP Choice. Uh, perfect timing now that we're in the summer months. The New Yorker, who represent the best writing in America today. We talk frequently here about the importance of great journalism, both online and in print. 
And uh, both online and in print, The New Yorker covers a full range of topics, including politics, news, pop culture, international affairs, climate change, and the environment. The New Yorker writes beautifully on subjects that readers may not have previously put much thought into, but end up finding themselves fascinated and delighted by these stories. A few recent stories at The New Yorker, the unimaginable reality of American concentration camps. What are the chances of Trump being reelected? Inside a Texas building where the government is holding immigrant children. These are really important topics. And if you want to support great journalism, we highly recommend subscribing. You can get 12 weeks of The New Yorker. That's the print edition for just $6. Plus, you'll receive The New Yorker tote bag. Some really great covers have come in recently, by the way. I am a subscriber now. I recently became a member. Got my magazines. Got my tote. They're perfect to bring down to the beach for some incredible, thoughtful deep dives. Plus, people look over at me. And of course, they're checking out my hot body, but they're also like, wow, <laughs> what an intellectual reading The New Yorker. I'm like, yes, yes, I know. I'm very smart. Listen yeah, to my podcast. Yeah, they're like, he definitely did not donate to Bernie Sanders' <laughs> campaign. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this offer will get you home delivery of the print edition each week, plus unlimited access to NewYorker.com with 10 to 15 exclusive site-only stories every day. Get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6 plus the exclusive tote. Go to newyorker.com slash millennial. We have our own URL on The New Yorker. How cool is that? How fancy. Yeah, right? Listeners save 50% when they enter millennial. This is your chance to, again, support great journalism and get in some important reading this summer. Time now for... Surprise! Surprise! Surprise, bitch! Hello. Hi, Anisha. Hey, how's it going? Surprise, bitch. It's Millennial. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. What are you up to tonight? Um, I'm actually in the process of moving. <gasps> oh, where are you moving? Yeah. Um, I'm moving from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Oh, okay. That's not it's, a huge yeah. move, but I guess it is money-wise. No, it's probably it, cheaper. It's, it's the popular thing to do. Right? It's what all oh, the yeah, kids I'm are doing. Super cool. Super <laughs> cool. Yeah. Why are you moving, Burroughs? I mean, I so I just finished grad school at Columbia. So I was like, I need to be done with the Upper West Side now. So I was okay. like, I want to go somewhere cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Congrats. Congrats to you. Hey. Uh, which, which college were you at at Columbia? Uh, the School of Professional Studies. So I was oh, studying nice. sustainability management. That's yeah. cool. I, I went to Teachers College amazing yeah Yeah. that's a great school how do you like living in new york it's a lot i'm actually (laughs) contemplating a chicago move in like three months so my brooklyn apartment is a very short-term kind of deal i see well you can move here and still hang out with brooklyn (laughs) my dog that's true i know that would be great i would love that he can meet my dog oh what's what's your dog's name manhattan his, I wish. No, his name is Kelsey. Kelsey. Um, he's a boy, though. He's a How on earth did you find Aww, a New York sweet. City apartment that let you have a dog? Because this was a point of contention for me when I was there. Really? Mine is like full of dogs. Really? That's crazy. Yeah, like a million of them. She studied at Columbia. She had the hookups. Oh, yeah. She's got the end. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't totally. allowed to have a dog when I went there, so... <laughs> <laughs> so moving to Chicago is probably a good idea for you if you, if you 
like living in New York. Obviously, you still have the colder weather, but you have the benefit yeah. of not looking at trash bags on your sidewalk. <laughs> and it doesn't smell That's like shit true. everywhere you go. But and they the, don't recycle. We recycle here. Do you? Yes. My cousins don't recycle. Well, your your cousins suck. <laughs> oh my Apparently, God. yeah. <laughs> No, or recycle. maybe their building doesn't recycle. There's some sort of recycling issue. That's probably what it is. No, but if you move to Chicago, you're going to have like a telephone pole right behind your garage in a narrow alleyway. Ah, uh, yes. That is the problem with <laughs> this my seems place. like very specific to Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to have downstairs neighbors who are really cool. <laughs> the reason I bring that up about New York is just because I really do not know anyone who genuinely enjoys living in New York. I think everyone does for a period of time. And I think when you leave for a while, you're like, oh, my God, nostalgia. I love New York. And then you're like, you come back and you're like, can I leave now? Like, it's a lot. Right. You move to the city. You're playing the Scooter Braun owns. Welcome to New York. It's been waiting for you, and everything <laughs> seems so great. And then you see yeah, your first that's playing everywhere you go. You see your first rat carrying a slice of pizza, and you're like, "Hmm, Taylor didn't write about this." Nor did yeah. she write about the subway stations flooding, <laughs> <laughs> or the lack of air conditioner in the subway stations. Ooh, yeah, you get that summer Ooh, subway it gets so stain. Muggy down there. Got to time it right so you're not down there sweating your face off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's so gross, yeah. You gotta position yourself on the trains right too, or else you get a face full of armpit. Ooh. That's yeah, true. true. Or a face and full I'm of shorter. ass if you're sitting down. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or you get crotch, yeah, when you're sitting. That is also true. Stinky <laughs> crotch, yeah. Did you watch the debates and did any candidates stick out to you? I did. I did. Um, I'm a big fan of Mayor Pete. Um, I think answer. he's pretty great. Um, I think Kamala Harris did a really good job. A um, little bit of a con- like contentious debate there with Joe Biden, but you know, I think it's probably a little necessary. I like Elizabeth Warren. Still, kind of, I don't know. It's like hard for me to differentiate. I feel like between a lot of these candidates, mm-hmm. I'm still having a hard time kind of choosing one that I have all my all my hopes in for you know yeah that's because there's actually very little difference in their proposals (laughs) yeah i know and i'm like i don't i don't know i'm supposed to go with someone that's like way more socialist or just someone that's a little bit more moderate but pretty much everyone is saying the same stuff yeah they're just they're trying vehemently to make it sound like they're completely opposing i know (laughs) yeah no they're really not yeah, so I was having a hard time pulling apart anything really monumental, but my favorite person was Rachel Maddow, actually. I think she was really the winner of the debate. I don't know if you guys were watching her facial expressions and her reactions throughout the oh, whole yeah. thing, but she was pretty great. She did a good job corralling them, too. But also just all of her yeah. reactions to Marianne Williamson being like, and peace and dust and and unicorn yeah. sparkles. And we'll fix America. I guess she pulls out. <laughs> as, as opposed to the rest of them, she she has something different about her. Right. A little bit right. off, maybe. All right. Well, good stuff. Well, good luck with your new life in Brooklyn. I hope it lasts Thank longer you. than three months. I don't think you should move there and then move again three months later. That's a lot of effort. 
it's a it's a furnished apartment, so I sort of have it in the pipeline. Ooh. So my stuff is all elsewhere in storage. So I see, I see. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for calling. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for your support and have a good night, you and Kelsey. Thanks. Good luck with the move. Thanks so much. Take all care. Right. Bye. bye. All right. Bye. What a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And speaking of our patrons, we did a new AP choice at patreon.com slash millennial. We said, what do you want us to talk about this week? Katie said the author of The Hate You Give, Angie Thomas, posted on Instagram last night that she doesn't want book reviewers to tag authors in negative reviews on Instagram. Her Instagram has blown up in the last few days with people slash authors on both both sides of the argument i'd love to hear your thoughts i didn't know that this conversation was tied to angie thomas specifically but i have seen a lot of people tweeting about not tagging writers and it it was mostly actually not tagging tv writers so now it's kind of seeping into um like the movie and television show review sector of writing which i think is really interesting so she must have really struck a chord yeah so i guess Angie is arguing don't hurt these authors' feelings? Or is she getting into the nitty-gritty of like, oh, don't tag the author because then it'll show up in the Discover tab and then other people will see it and then they won't buy the book? Either way, I I, look, when you are a creator, this is the risk that you take Mm -hmm. (laughs) receiving negative feedback. If you wrote... Now, look, I think the criticism should be fair. If it's a freaking troll, then hell no get out of here but if somebody wants to share their review then yeah they should tag the author in it the author should maybe see that feedback it might be hard to take but that's why we have therapy that's why we have talk space but really i mean it's just part of being a creator no i mean i i tend to agree with you that it's it's a lot to ask to be like when you're reviewing me please don't link to me in any way whatsoever yeah i don't want to know Yeah. Or like, I don't want people to see it. It's like, it's the internet. People Mm -hmm. are going to see it. But also like we, we get critical feedback here. I don't remember ever caring that much to be concerned about it. It's like, you, you, you read it, you take it in and you decide whether it's valid and you're going to do something about it or you don't like that's all there is to it. I wonder if maybe the issue is that, like, for example, I don't we don't really get comments very much on Hypeable, but I won't read the comments. I wouldn't read them even if we did. Like, that's something I stopped doing a while ago. Mm -hmm. But that's easy to control, right? Right. It's not easy to control if, like, even if you're out looking for it, it's coming to you. So I kind of understand where she's coming from, but at the same time, it kind of is a slippery slope because then you have people, we talked about this uh, a couple of shows ago, then you have people that are overtly critical of somebody's opinion. Right. And that's where the problem lies. It's And that's not really what she's saying, but it's so easy for the conversation to, to kind of get steered into that direction. Now, I do think that it's valid that if it's a case of like cyberbullying, because we've definitely seen cases where artists have been attacked just because there was a group of people who didn't like them for whatever reason. In those cases, I think it's fair for those artists to, you know, pursue, you know, the proper channels in order to like get those taken down if they find that they violate 
you know, any kind of terms of service of the platform, but there's so much gray area there that it's really hard to put it like a hard and fast rule on it, you know? Mm-hmm. I, like you had said, Laura, we receive criticism, but we want to hear the criticism, at least I do, as long as it's yeah. fair, as long as it's constructive, because we want to improve. Now, Pam, I also see your point, and I think it is a very good one, that if so- if somebody tags me, I'm going to go into my activity feed on Instagram, and I'm going to see that whether I'm ready to look at the negative criticism or not. So I kind of get it from that perspective. But again, this is just what you have to deal with when you are a creator in the year 2019. You are going to be seeing negative feedback no matter what. And... I don't know. It's just it's just a reality of life that you have to deal with. Yeah. And also, I feel like if you're getting that volume of feedback either way, you really need a social media manager. You should not be managing those accounts on your own. Yeah. And to be honest, I've noticed that a lot of authors have switched over to doing that. Like uh, Becky, Becky Albertalli, who wrote Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which was then in turn made into Love, Simon. She actually stopped managing her own socials because she just got really uncomfortable with the type of tweets that she was getting in her reply. So now it's fully run by management. But it's unfortunate that it it gets to that point because I think the nice thing about social media sometimes is that it gives you direct access to people that you admire. But at the same time, there's so many people that abuse that. And that's when people start to quit. And it's not fair. Right. Yeah. Divergent author Veronica Roth also left social media for similar reasons. Great question, Katie. Thank you. Victor asked us to talk about the Taylor Swift drama. Check. Sarah said... (laughs) Probably got more than you bargained for there. (laughs) Yeah. Victor, we do that just for you. Sarah said, One Day at a Time was picked up by a cable network, Pop TV, which is the first time a streaming show made its way to cable after being canceled. Do you all watch the show? Will you watch now that they've achieved this monumental feat? I have not watched it, but Pam, I think you have, right? Yes, I love this show so much. I've been a big fan for a few years now, and it was actually going to be my recommendation, but I'll talk about it now. Uh, I think that you're right. It's super cool that they got picked up. They actually got canceled about three months ago, and it was a really big deal because there's a little bit of diversity going on over at Netflix, but not enough. So the fact that they were choosing to cancel this show that has so much representation across like multiple different sides of representation was a really big deal. So it's really, really great to hear that they're getting the opportunity to continue telling these stories and, you know, use their platform to to really shed light on some of these issues. The show is like so good, though. I think that whenever I tell people to watch this, I always preface it by saying that like any sitcom, it's a little bit um, hard to get into the first few episodes it takes them a while to find its footing but once you get through like the first three it's just all downhill in the best way possible and it's got so much heart and also rita moreno is in it living icon so watch at least for her if you're not watching for anything else. i freaking love her um she, she's great in this laura if you haven't seen it you would love so it. so i've actually watched kind of casually i'm not even remotely like up to speed on I think I got like part way into season two. Um, but I really did enjoy what I saw. And I think, you know, you we really have to underscore the importance of all the different like faces of diversity that we saw in the show. And it really 
left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths that Netflix chose to cancel this, especially given the fan community that was so outspoken about it. I mean, for a while, it felt like my entire social media timeline was hashtag save one day at a time. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was. so I it was really nice to see that it had been picked up. And it, what's also genius, Sarah mentioned Pop TV. This is the network that owns or that airs Shit's Creek, which is wildly popular. It's about to air its next season next year. It's final season next year. But the brilliant part about this is that Pop TV benefits from tens of millions of people watching one day at a time on Netflix. And now they are all going to go to Pop TV, a network nobody heard of, nobody knows of now. Uh, it was even worse before Shit's Creek. They're going to get all this publicity out of this. Pop TV is going to be the, one of the biggest freaking channels out there because they saved a Netflix show. All Pop TV has to keep doing is saving Netflix shows, and they're going to be the next Netflix. Another big one that got canceled with diversity was Sense8. People were really pissed oh, yep. about that. Yeah, that was huge. Mm-hmm. Next thing we know, Pop TV is going to buy Taylor Swift's Masters. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I feel like she'd be happier if they were there. Right. <laughs> Tiara says, the crushing debt I feel after just buying a house. That's on her mind this Ooh, week. I well, feel congrats, you. Tiara. <laughs> I mean, that's good news that you bought a place. Hope yeah, you're liking it so far. It is. And something to bear in mind is that when you're paying that mortgage every month, just remember that instead of throwing that money down the rent hole, you're putting it into something that you own and that you will one day be able to hopefully turn a profit for. That money isn't going anywhere. It's just sitting in the value of your home. So you're really not even losing that money anymore. That's the brilliant part about it. Of course, there's a chance the value of your house could go down, but real estate rises. That's what's so great about it. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is too, I mean, when you purchase property, you are taking a risk with that. Just like you take a risk when you sign a lease for an apartment. When you wire money to a stranger. Everything's <laughs> a risk. Life is a risk. <laughs> Congratulations, Tiara. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Jared says he's going on vacation to DC this week. I need a break from work and grad school. So uh, enjoy your vacation in DC, Jared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love DC. Um, I, I loved it more when... We didn't have a mango at the center of it, but um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to a time when it's not under Trump rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my brother and I went last year, and on the last day, we were just happened to be walking by the White House, and he turned to me and he said, "I just realized that I never asked if you wanted to go to the White House, but I just assumed that we were in unspoken agreement that we did not want to go there for the next four years." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, pretty much." Yeah. Yep. Right on the money. I guess the last time I was there, Laura was election night. Yeah. Fuck. And I was bawling Mm -hmm. in the hotel room. I was just like sitting on the bed, like ugly crying. It was not, it was not pretty. And Andrew just like reached across the bed and just kind of like patted me on the back. (laughs) Like they're there. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, Laura's crying. What the fuck am I supposed to do right now? (laughs) It sucks. No, I, was, I was just sitting there like, <laughs> my uterus. Oh, my God. They're yeah. going <laughs> to. Like somebody died. 
Yeah, it kind of Democracy. felt like that. Democracy. <laughs> Mr. Democracy. Do you remember all those people that told you to calm down and now you're like, well, how can I be calm now? Because everything I was crying about on that night is now slowly right. coming Basically. true. Exactly. So, Thanks to everybody who supports us <laughs> over at patreon.com slash millennial. You keep us happy in this in this world of Trump. For recommendations this week, I'm actually going to hold off on sharing my recommendation until after dark because I kind of broke the rules around here and, uh, you know, I, I need to make sure certain people don't hear. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share that in after dark. I'll explain it in after dark. Okay. I am intrigued. Same. Um, <laughs> well, I guess I'm the only one with a recommendation to talk about. <laughs> um, so I'm going to recommend Thread Up. I discovered this a few weeks ago. It's an app that sells lightly used secondhand clothing and it sells it really cheap. So just out of curiosity, I was like, okay, they have a pretty good return policy. I'm going to give this a shot and just see see what I get. So for $100, I got four pairs of jeans, um, a couple of which are Vera Wangs, and they were all listed as, you know, being in excellent condition to the point where you could confuse them for being new. I also got four blouses with that. Um, and they're like these designer brand shirts and stuff. And I get this stuff and it is seriously fucking like brand new. The only thing that makes it not look new is the fact that there aren't tags on it. Um, Olivia Wilde has become like the face of this company. And it seems like they're doing a really good job of curating the stuff that they're collecting from people. You can actually sell your lightly used clothing to them as well. And they like pay for the postage for you to send it in. And I guess you get a little bit of a kickback from it when it sells. But it's really cool. And I think super pertinent in a time where we're all kind of crunched for money to know there are places you can go where you can get nice clothing for cheap, but also to make sure that we're being, you know, environmentally and economically conscious by purchasing secondhand clothing and not contributing to uh, the ridiculous amount of textile production that is happening in retail. So interesting that you recommend this the week we talk about LuLaRoe. I actually just Googled <laughs> Lou or searched LuLaRoe on thread up 23,000 articles of clothing from. Yeah. Them. Wow. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. Those leggings are fucking ugly and nobody wants them. <laughs> Man, some of our listeners are like, Laura, I used to love buying LuLaRoe leggings. <laughs> I'm, You know what? Everybody is entitled to their opinion. Right. I just think there's a reason that there are that many articles of clothing on that site. Yeah, fair. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Pam, your recommendation was one day at a time, right? Yeah, uh, first three seasons are still going to be streaming on Netflix, and eventually they'll be showing reruns on CBS, which is, I guess, a, a parent um, company of linked. Yeah, Pop parent TV. company. That's the word I was looking for. I, for some reason, I could only think of like sister, a sister buddy, <laughs> right, or right. something weird like that. Sister anyway, station. yeah. So first three seasons are still on Netflix. Take advantage of that and binge the hell out of one day at a time, and make Netflix aware of what a big mistake they made. That would make me extremely happy. We will be off next week because of 4th of July here in America. That said, you can contact us by writing directly to millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form on millennialshow.com. And don't forget about our confessional if you want to submit something anonymously. Also, follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 
And we just closed down the opportunity to get the handwritten letter if you become a Bay patron. Uh, so it's time to uh, put pen to paper, ladies. <laughs> we That's need to right. discuss how we're going to do that now. We have to talk about these logistics. Yes, we do. <laughs> True story. Y'all come mm-hmm. to Atlanta. We can just hang out in my condo all weekend and get oh, drunk and write letters. That'd be fun. That actually does sound really fun. Imagine <laughs> how great those letters would be. <laughs> yeah. We can go to the original Chick-fil-A one day Ooh, Yeah, together. we could do that. And go to... Uh, you could get a hot brown. Hot brown. You can like be writing your letter and a piece of the hot brown will fall off onto it and leaves like a grease stain on it. <laughs> then that listener's getting like the most authentic letter from Andrew Yeah, that's ever. a bonus physical gift. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, even, even if you did not pledge before the June 30th deadline, there are still tons of benefits available to you at patreon.com slash millennial. So check it out. We would really appreciate your support because it keeps the show running coming up in after dark today we have a hodgepodge of news stories that we felt like needed some attention but we didn't have enough room for in the main show yeah i also want to bitch about netflix because they spoiled the entirety of stranger things three for me how rude wow oh i won't i don't want to spoil the spoilers so we'll wait until after dark i know everything i know everything do you want to know it all right now? I know every fucking thing. No, I haven't watched it. Yeah, it's not out yet. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what? Well, July it's 4th. It's like a humble brag, but not. Netflix. <laughs> well, yeah, it is a humble brag, but you know what? I deserve it because I'm fucking pissed. Whole season spoiled for me. Anyway, I'll, I'll explain that. Patreon.com slash millennial. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye. I can feel the flames on my skin. Crimson red paint on my lips. If a man talks shit, then I own nothing. I don't regret it one bit, cause he had it coming. I really like that song. It's a good one. That's one of the her new ones, right? Okay, so we didn't give yeah. money to that douchebag. Well, oh. I used a definitely an unauthorized YouTube video. So. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> it does come from Reputation, which is the last album Big Machine owns, but it's okay because oh. the money's not going to them anyway. That is so funny.